The Process, a podcast about creativity and experimental music. In the world of experimental music, outcomes and accolades for creators can be uncertain and at times seem far and few between. Therefore, creators and practitioners of experimental music must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one creator and their music. Understanding how and why they create can inform aspiring creatives and help audiences better understand and navigate experimental music. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of experimental music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. Welcome to The Process. I want to begin today's episode with a question that was brought up or expressed uh, during my conversation with the wonderful composer, technologist, synthesist, Heather Stebbins. And the question was one that was posed to her uh, as a student. And the question was, does the world really need another composer? Uh, so probably many of you creatives that are listening to the episode are probably like, ugh. <laughs> you probably, like your response is just like, ugh. Uh, so either you like hate that question or you can kind of feel the weight behind that question. And and maybe you've never had anyone directly ask you that. Maybe you've never had somebody say, you know, directly to you, does the world really need another you as a composer? Does the world really need another composer? But maybe you've heard it other ways. Like, do you really need to write a piece with a C major chord in it? Or does the world really need another string quartet or another electronic piece of music? Or maybe it's even so microscopic that in you're like, well, do I really need to write this next note? Does the world really need this next note? Either way, uh, when the question was presented in today's episode, I immediately went to that kind of anxiety point in, in the creative process where you're like, is this any good? Does this, do I even need to be saying this? And, uh, you know, I'd be interested what uh, you all think as well about this, you know, as far as, uh, you know, how crippling or how important or, or, or how, you, how you would choose to answer that. I think the question itself is kind of stupid. I, I think, yes, obviously the world needs another composer and the world needs another art song and the world needs another uh, string quartet and the world needs more art. Um, so I think the answer is yes, the world does need another composer and what you're doing is worthwhile. I may argue that maybe the world doesn't need another billionaire or another dictator or another war, um, or, uh, more homelessness, um, uh, and racial injustice and inequality. Uh, but yeah, the, I, I think the world still needs like a composer, a, a, another composer, and someone who is dedicated into creating things. Um, but I think we all get the weight of that question. And, and I think maybe if no one has ever asked us that, uh, I think at least that for a lot of creatives, that is always part of our voice in the back of our head. So uh, stay tuned for today's episode, uh, because I think Heather has some great ways of sort of 
tackling that voice and she discusses how you know she approaches that question so let's take a moment to listen to an excerpt from the piece ursa major by heather stebbins and learn more about her and the work Heather Stebbins is a composer, technologist, synthesist, and educator based in Washington, D.C., where she is a professor at George Washington University. She works with sounds created by instruments, objects, and electricity to generate new musical experiences. Her new album, Olne, is available on Bandcamp as well as at www.heatherstebbins.com. On today's episode, we listen to and discuss Ursa Major for saxophone, piano, percussion, and electronics. It was commissioned by the Vertex Sonora Ensemble, and today's episode is a live recording from the ensemble's premiere of the piece. So for me, I mean, my creative process has changed pretty dramatically over the course of my, I guess, 15 years of compositional life at this point. But um, no matter what the process ends up looking like, it always starts with sound. So I mean, whether that's um, a sound that I hear in nature or a sound that I create or perhaps a particular sound I hear on an instrument, but oftentimes I need that. I mean, it's not tangible, but you know, a, a sound that I, I know I'm going to be working with in order to jumpstart ideas. Um, I've never been one to sort of have an idea pop in my head and, you know, pencil and paper, notate it and, and be able to yeah. carry it through that way. I sort of need that um, sonic reality to work yeah. both with and against. 
And and where are you finding that? Is that on a sound walk? Is that from other music? Where where are you where are you getting that uh, impetus or inspiration? So both. Um, I definitely borrow and steal a lot from music Absolutely. that I enjoy, um, whether <laughs> consciously or not. Um, yeah, I've definitely yeah. found that just you know my my life as a, a consumer, a listener, influences my writing as I think it does for everyone. Yeah. Um, but it could be, I mean, through, through a sound walk, like you say, um, usually not intentionally. I, I find like, I'll hear something when I'm doing a menial task, like washing the dis- dishes and think, oh, yeah. that reminds me of this. And that's interesting. Yeah. Um, or it's generative. Um, so I'm sure we'll talk about this, but in the last yeah. almost year, I've been exploring, um, working with modular synthesis and yeah. generating the sounds that I end up working with has been in- incredibly impactful for my process. Um, sometimes it's experimenting with instruments. So mm-hmm. I'm a string player. Um, I, mm-hmm. I sometimes compose on my own instrument, um, mm-hmm. but often just working with other performers, um, mm-hmm. not so much in the last, uh, two years, right. but, um, right. that experience yeah. is in- incredibly like inspiring for me as a creator. So what, what kind of sounds are you drawn to on the modular uh, synthesizers? Like, is it the the actual, the correct way to use it? Or is it the <laughs> malfunctions? What 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 interests you? Um, so, I mean, I, even though I enjoy synthesis, I'm mm-hmm. using it more from like a sampling perspective. Um, yeah. While I do, I do, you know, traditional synthesis with some sure. of the modules, um, I'm, I'm most drawn to working with samples and then, you know, wrangling them in in some way, whether it's the correct way or the incorrect way. Um, But I I often start with a sample, whether it's something I've generated in the past or, um, you know, something that I I get from a sample library. Um, For me, that's been the most fruitful in that world, in that realm. Yeah. You know, for me, I'll hear something. I'm kind of going back to this kind of crate digging uh, you know, era where it's like you hear something, you hear a break or you hear something and you're like, oh, that would work really well, you know. Um, so I'm often inspired just by hearing, you know, commercials, anything just, yeah. you know, in the uh, in the environment. I love that comment, though, too, that you made about it. Sometimes it's conscious, sometimes it's subconscious. And um, I love this idea that, you know, a, a lot of the minimalist composers talk about not denying the fact that they grew up eating hamburgers and hot dogs, you know, mm-hmm. like, just like, like you, you can't, you can't forget that. Do you, do you, do you find that sometimes that you're, you're inspired by the, by your, the way you were brought up? Is that, is that kind of mixed into what you're doing? Oh, for sure. I mean, I grew up playing, you know, sort of traditional um, cello repertoire, um, sure. but I actually, I don't think it's as much of that repertoire that's influencing my music. Um, I was also playing percussion in, um, I, I was a snare drummer in the drum line in my high school and I played um, <laughs> guitar in a crappy basement punk rock band. Yep. Um, and I, and I didn't listen to classical music um, right. Uh, right. growing up. So, I mean, while I'm, I'm not writing music that emulates say indie rock, I do think my um, years spent, you know, very steeped in that sound world influences how I deal with um, tension and release or energy flow. So maybe not from like a sonic level, like or yeah. actual pitches and frequencies, but more in, you know, it sort of guides my musical intuition as to when structural things need to happen. Yeah. And, you know, I, I find I always have this kind of air of slacker culture. I think it's from like the grunge and like the the 90s music that I grew up on and just 
you know, that's always finding its way in when I'm making kind of decisions about, well, what's the meaning of this or what direction does it need to go in? And it's usually like, whatever, man, you know, (laughs) you know, like that always finds its way in. So it never gets too serious. Um, Okay. So you have this creative idea, you have this um, inspiration, you hear a sound, you're, you're messing around with the modular synthesis, you create a sound. When does that get on paper? Do we get notes on a page? Does that happen right away? Does it never happen? It used to happen right away. Um, Mm -hmm. I, you know, in like graduate school and for a period after I was very adamant that I would write things out by hand and then go to notation software at the last um, stage of the composition. Um, And that worked for me at the time because I had many, many hours to devote to composing. (laughs) Um, And it was sort of this back and forth, you know, working with sounds within a DAW and notating, you know, both for acoustic and electroacoustic pieces. Um, But then post-graduation and like life, a day job, you know, children arrived (laughs) and I only had so many hours in a day. Um, And so the notation was the piece of it that I realized like, okay, I'm spending a lot of time on this. This is where I need to um, chip away because I'd rather be focusing on the musical material, maybe not as much as how to communicate it. Um, With my current sort of synth work, that is not getting notated. Um, in the traditional sense, obviously, um, because it's for me for performance or recording. Um, but are you, are you making notes though, or taking pictures of, uh, patches or setups that you have just so you can kind of recreate them? I am for when I go to perform. So now that kind of live concerts are back, um, I have had a few gigs, both, um, like at outdoor venues, um, and, uh, indoor, I have one coming up that, Fingers crossed it's not been canceled yet. (laughs) Numbers are looking good in DC, Um, but also for live streams and that sort of thing. And, and I will take pictures and like work with the patch in a way that allows me to recreate it. But I also just love the sense of improvisation that I get when I'm performing. So I don't want it to be too um, scripted when I'm just generating material to see what I can make. I I don't write it down um, because I think one of the beauties of working in this way is the impermanence. Um, The fact that like, if I don't really engage with it in the moment, I'm going to rip out the cables and it won't be able to be generated again. And for me, that places um, like a, a, a sense of meaning and a sense of immediacy where it's like, okay, this is a moment that I have to fully experience because I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to again. And so I try really hard to, engage with if if it is something worth (laughs) engaging with um play with it in the moment yeah you know we we talk often about being in the moment and uh you know i I was talking to robert dick a few uh, days ago uh, about his improv Mm -hmm. and you know he talks about staying in the moment and being in the moment when he's improvising um because that's when he's just reacting that's when he's just doing things um I have heard, though, some people like to their sessions, especially a lot of like the mod heads, they really like to just like videotape their sessions, their practice sessions, just so that like if they really found that like Quinta Astina yeah. in the session, they can go back and be like, all right, what was the what was the patch remotely like? I'm not uh, I'm not confident enough to to watch myself. So, yes. <laughs> um, that I And I don't really yeah. consider myself a mod head at least yeah. not yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm just, it's inevitable, isn't it though? Like, <laughs> well, yes and no. I mean, I, I see, I see the, like, 
I'm at the edge of the cliff, right? Where it's like, I I can look down there and I see the people that are like really knowledgeable about the gear and very obsessive about the gear. And I'm like, I could be that, but I don't want to because I want to focus on the music, which is music. Right. And it's, it's not, not one is good and one is bad. It's just, I know myself and I know I would have a tendency to get wrapped up in gear in a way that would take away from the music I was generating. And so I purposefully don't let that happen. Um, I, I almost feel like scores are kind of a similar slope that right. oh, you can yeah, get obsessed. Like you were saying, like, what, 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 what do I have to take away from this process? Right. And those scores can become works of art in themselves. Absolutely. And, and I definitely have seen scores like that and thought, shoot, I wish I could do that. Um, my yeah. illustrator skills are just not <laughs> yeah, up yeah, to yeah. part. I need to get the new version of Photoshop. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, for me, you know, I, I think I'm able to communicate to performers, um, what I want, what I'm intending more when I'm working with them directly rather than through a score. Um, I tend to handwrite a lot of scores just so I don't have to deal with the illustrator, um, sort of, uh, conundrum, yeah. which, yeah. which in the, you know, in Ursa majors, we'll talk about yeah. that is handwritten for a couple of reasons, which I'll, I'll get to. Yeah. Um, but also, I, I mean, my background is like, I was a performer well before I was a composer and I loved improvisation. And I love when, when performers who take my score sort of semi improvisatory, you know, uh, sort of react to, to the notation in a way where when one person plays it, it will be slightly different than another. And so I don't want to be so prescriptive in, in my notation. This is the premiere recording from the Vertexes Sonora Ensemble who commissioned the piece. 
Um, they're based out of Spain, and I sadly was not able to go to the premiere. Um, so have actually have only heard the piece in person in a in a recording studio. Um, I will have a studio recording of it coming out soon. But the piece is scored for percussion, piano, um, several saxophones, and electronics. Um, was written in 2017, and that was sort of a strange period, or not strange, but period of my life where I had a day job as a um, high school math teacher. Um, also had a young son, and so composing was sort of this thing that I fit in when I. I felt like there was nothing else I could be doing at that moment. Like I, I had to be yeah. writing. And yeah. I mean, I got, I got the commission and I wanted to yeah. do it, but um, yeah. the, the way that I was working was much different from, you know, even two years earlier when I was in graduate school and had gobs of time to obsess right. over material. Yeah. So it was really, truly like the last thing on the list that if there was time to get to it, right, uh, you could get to it. Where in often in grad school, it's like that is like, like composition yeah. is life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wrote the electronics first um, and that took me some time. But uh, truthfully, the acoustic material I wrote while I was on vacation on Cape Cod in like a week. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If I feel funny admitting that because it makes it feel like, oh, maybe it's not super meaningful. But um, but yeah, I, I wrote it very, very quickly, which... Um, past Heather would have shunned. <laughs> right. You have yeah. to just sit over this and just work and work and work at it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then there's an intuitive nature of it. And right. you feel like, well, am I, I'm doing this intuitively. Is it, So it can't be, yeah, it can't be good. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the textures and timbres that you were working with in the uh, electronic part slash tape slash fixed media part. So it was a kind of odd assortment of um, samples that I was working with. Everything mm -hmm. from um, I had found this sample pack of recordings of electromagnetic fields of old yeah. pieces of hardware, and you get this very like um, digital sort of um, glitchy texture that when I first heard it, I was like, that is nothing like anything I would ever work with. But then I realized there were a lot of parallels to the sounds, the natural sounds I had been um, drawn to. Um, I mean, I've always been more drawn to texture than I am harmonic movement. And so mm. like, I love working with samples of, you know, stones in a metal bowl, for instance. Um, so that was sort of related to these EMF recordings. Um, bees, there are bees. In the I, th I thought they were, but I, you know, on a, on a, a tape piece, I never try to be too yeah, definite because I'm like, it's probably just, you know, something really abstract. But, yeah. No, yeah. There, there, there were bees, yeah. um, not mm -hmm. beads, uh, but bees yeah, and yeah. Uh, the bu buzzing bees. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Um, but at about eight minutes, we hear what I'm, I'm calling a prepared piano. The preparation mm -hmm. around eight minutes, I just took bobby pins that I have been using yeah. to pull my own hair back and put them on the strings. And yeah. um, it it creates that sort of, I mean, you can kind of adjust which harmonic the, the pins themselves are, and you can get right. different amounts of dampening if you use, you know, pins on all three strings or two. Um, so that's that sound world.
don't think I ever feel more honest than when I'm performing. And as a cellist, my skills were never good enough to perform in the way that I think I needed to. And now with these new techniques, I, I, I feel more like my musical self than I ever have. Absolutely. And I think that's the pursuit is to find the way that you can create and, you know, the, the way that you can make music that is just, it feels intuitive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my very first composition teacher, um, always used to say like, the world doesn't need another composer. Like, why do you need to do this? And you know, that can be sort of taken as this like, Oh shoot, I should stop. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure. I feel like, I feel like that's a lot of, I I love it. I I love the sentiment, but it feels like that could, that could cripple me like real fast. And and it it has, like, I definitely have had periods where I have felt that way, but I've, yeah. I mean, even in my periods of the most intense self-doubt, like I've still yeah. had this um, like innate desire to create and work with sound. So yeah. I, I mean, I do feel like I have to be doing this. Otherwise mm-hmm. I'm like not going to be whole. And so yeah. like, yeah. while it can be crippling, like I do think it's important to engage with that question because otherwise, like, I don't, I'm not sure I could clearly articulate why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah, you know, that's a big pull. I, I really latched onto that statement because that's a big pull I often have is that there's some somewhat of uh, there's some responsibility in all of this that, um, you know, there's many people that write many different types of music. So what what am I doing? What's my thing? And where where what's its purpose or what's its meaning? And I feel like that can be a driving force, but I feel like it, like on a note to note basis, I can like create a sound and be like, well, yeah, it's like piano in reverse. So mm-hmm. like ever like that's been going on for like ever. So like why do I need do I really need to be doing piano in reverse? Why am I doing this? Like, all right, I'm taking a break. Like, you know, yeah. you know, like it can it can spiral like that. Oh, for so sure. um so I do like that. I do like that statement though. Like w- like the world doesn't need another composer, but you need to be a composer maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't I, matter. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's truly, yeah. and, and I don't yeah. think I could articulate in words what mm-hmm. I, um, or why I'm doing this and why I, I need to do it, but I feel right. it when I'm mostly when I'm performing, um, yeah. it, something similar happens like when you're listening to your own music in a concert experience, but it, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't, it's not quite the same, um, as mm-hmm. when you're, you know, both performing, um, something in, and improvising something that you, um, generated. Yeah. And I love that moment when you find the idea, my two favorite moments are when you find that's like that thing and you're like, Oh, this is going to work. This could be part of a piece. And then I love the moment now more recently performing some of my works. I love the moment when it's like, Oh, this actually works. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like, okay, this is working. Like, and uh, you know, you're like seeing an audience response or you're seeing some type of response and you're like, okay, it works. And then I'm like, all right, let's write the next thing. You know, you're just on to the. <laughs> yeah, like you, you need you need those moments of success in order to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I have always felt, even when I first started composing, that I'm I'm not totally in control, but rather I'm discovering the piece. Um, yep. And, you know, every time it happens, I'm like, oh, I just got really lucky. Um, and now it's been, you know, like yeah. almost half of my life and yeah. it's like, okay, there, there's gotta be more than luck going on here, but shoot, I hope I get lucky next time. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Well, this has been awesome. Before I let you go, uh, where can we go to find out more about you, uh, and about your music? 
Yeah. So um, I have a website, heatherstebbins.com, which is more of my sort of um, electroacoustic music. And then for my um, modular synth stuff, I have a synthogram. <laughs> um, he- <laughs> yeah, I, I just coined that. Um, Heather.stebbins. Wow. And there's a link tree um, there where you can find um, uh, some um, YouTube links for live performances. And then I had an album of uh, synth uh, works come out last December. Um, you can find that on Bandcamp or all of these streaming services. So. Great. And what's the name of that album? The name of the album is All Me. Great. Yeah. And they can find that all on Bandcamp or? Or streaming services. Yep. Thanks to Heather for sharing her time and music with us. If you enjoyed this episode, check out other episodes in the series. And as always, like, subscribe, or leave a comment on your preferred podcasting app. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and this has been The Process. <laughs>